please turn back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had been especially active in preaching the good news of Jesus raised from the dead in Jerusalem. They had been going up to the temple, and as we read earlier, they encountered a man who had been lame from birth. He'd been paralyzed, he'd been crippled from birth, unable to walk. Uh, He was there uh, begging for charity. And uh, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I will give you. And then says to him, in the powerful name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And guess what? He stood up and walked. Immediately he was healed. And uh, he went up to the temple with Peter and John, and he was glorifying God. That was probably the happiest day of his life. He could walk again. His health and his body was restored. And then, well, word got to the religious leaders, and they didn't like it. Peter and John had been preaching in the powerful name of Jesus, and the fact that this man as well is due to the power of Jesus. Jesus must truly be raised from the dead and still active in, in Jerusalem and in the lives of his people, especially the apostles. And so Peter and John were thrown in jail. They're brought before the authorities the next day and asked, by what name or by what power did you heal this person? And I'm sure Peter was happy to give the answer. In the name of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, this man stands before you well. He stands before you whole. And then Peter lets them know. Look, you crucified Jesus. God raised him from the dead, and it's in the name of Jesus, and by the name of Jesus, that salvation has come to us. Well, these authorities continue their meeting, and they decided that, well, Peter and John, you shouldn't be speaking anymore in the name of Jesus. You've just got to be quiet. Uh, Notice, if you will, verse 18, if you're there in chapter 4 of Acts, notice verse 18. And they called them and commanded them, they, that is uh, Peter and John, not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So basically, the religious authorities are telling them just to shut up. You keep quiet. As long as you keep quiet, don't say, well, you can't, if you have your faith, keep it to yourself. Okay, Just, just keep it to yourself. But isn't, the way, isn't that what a lot of people tell us Christians today? Oh, you can have your faith, just keep it to yourself. So Peter and John, you, you just keep your little faith in this, this Jesus that you claim was raised from you just keep it to yourself. But we don't want you to teach or preach or say anything about Jesus anymore. Well, notice uh, what Peter and John say. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. <laughs> and what Peter and John are effectively saying, look, we have this deep-seated conviction that we're going to listen to God and do what God tells us to do before we do what you tell us to do. And I can imagine these religious leaders are feeling a little small right now. Because Peter and John have just made it real clear, very clear, crystal clear, that we answer to a higher authority. It's not you we answer to, we answer to God. So, verse 21, so they had further threatened them, they had further threatened Peter and John. Then they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since all the people glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And so there was no denying that this this lame man had been healed. Everybody knew him. And everybody could see with their own two eyes that he was well. So the religious leaders sort of found them in a little bit of a rock and a hard place. 
While they wanted to shut down Peter and John right away as, as best they could, on the other hand, the people, uh, you know, Jesus was pretty popular with the people, and Peter and John are popular with the people, and this man has been healed, he's well, and things are happening, and they're all giving glory to God. So you might look at this and say, well, boy, this might have been somewhat discouraging to Peter and John and to the rest of the disciples. So what do they do after this, this incident in which they have been threatened and told to shut up and be quiet? What do they do? They go back to their own company and have a prayer meeting. So I've entitled my message tonight, How to Cope with Trials. This focus is a little better. Yeah, okay, there you go. I'm losing my sense of bearings here. Okay, coping with trials, coping with problems. Coping with opposition to you and your faith. Uh, coping with hardship of any kind. Let's, we can just kind of keep it general. Coping with trials. And there are, I think, at least five things we learn from this prayer. Um, and the first thing is simply to pray. That's what they're doing. They're going back. Peter and John go back to their own company. They go back to the believers. And they have a prayer meeting. They're not thrown into a state of panic. Uh, they're not caught off guard and full of consternation. They're not full of anxiety. They're very calm, they're very focused, and they've all agreed that we're going to pray. That's the best thing they can do is pray. That's the best thing we can do whenever we have a problem, a trial, a setback, an opposition, or some sort of hardship. When life's difficulties seem to be piling up, we just pray. And that's what they do. So that's the first thing we do is pray. I'm mindful of the Apostle Paul words, be anxious for nothing. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, shall safeguard and protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus himself teaches in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Men men should not lose heart or give up, but men should always pray. And then he goes on to tell the parable of the unjust judge and the widow's uh, constant, uh, you might say, badgering. And finally, uh, the unjust judge gave the widow her request. All right, so the second thing I want to mention here is acknowledge God's power. Notice what they do here. Notice, uh, Let's notice the prayer now, beginning in verse 23. Um, and being let go, they, that is Peter and John, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. That must have taken a few minutes to say everything that the elders had said to them. They, they rehearse everything. They go over it all over again. They recite everything that had happened. And this is when they're going to have their prayer meeting now. Verse 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God. So now they're going to have a prayer. They raised their voice to God with one accord. In other words, with one passion, with one purpose. And this is what they said. Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. That's what is happening here. They decide they're not going to panic. They're not going to get discouraged. They're not not talking about quitting or they're not talking about scaling back. They're not talking about softening the message. They're not talking about making things more attractive. They're not talking about how they can sort of keep working but sort of get along with the religious leaders here. They're not thinking of some sort of compromise plan. They just pray. And the first thing they say to God is, Lord, you are Lord. Now this is not the usual word that's used in the New Testament for Lord. Uh, This is a rather unusual word for Lord. In fact, it's the English word, or in fact, it's the Greek word that's used from which we get the English word despot. You know what a despot is? Sort of a tyrant, 
an absolute ruler. So this word for Lord sort of emphasizes the sheer and absolute and unrivaled power of a ruler. And that's what they say to God. God, you are Lord. You are the supreme Lord. You are the sovereign Lord. You have all power. You have power and authority like no one else does. You are Lord. Then they go on to confess God's awesome power. You're the one that made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. You made everything. So what they're doing here is they're encouraging themselves by taking time out to acknowledge and remember God's awesome power. And I think that helps them to, to place the power of these religious authorities in proper perspective. God is more powerful than these religious authorities. God is far more powerful, and God will always have the last word. I also notice, if you just so, well, let's look at, well, let me just read the rest of the passage then, and then we'll come back. Let me just read down to verse 31. Um, so verse 25 now. They're still uh, talking to God in prayer. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Notice verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They spoke the word with courage, with fearlessness. So now verse 27, as we continue to think about acknowledging God's power, notice verse 27. They say of God, God, uh, truly against your holy servant Jesus, what, whom you anointed. See, God is the one who anointed Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one Uh, foreordained by God to be the one who comes into the world to be the promised Messiah through whom God would fulfill all of his promises. So, um, your holy servant God, you have anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel gathered together to do, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So here the apostles are acknowledging that the crucifixion was not a mistake. It was not like God's uh, power just... uh, uh, somehow vanished and God wasn't present at the cross and, 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 and sinners had the upper hand and, and God's power wasn't enough to stop the crucifixion. No, no, no. It was God's plan all along that Jesus go to the cross and be crucified. In other words, these, these big wheels, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, they all just carried out what God wanted to be done. They were, as it were, just puppets in the hands of Almighty God. So I think it's important for us to encourage ourselves is to acknowledge God's awesome power. It makes our problems look a lot smaller. It makes the possibilities seem greater. Whenever we stop to acknowledge God's power, we gain a sense and regain a sense of hope and optimism. There is nothing too hard for God to do. There is no problem he cannot resolve, because we're not always sure how God's going to work things out or resolve things, but we need to have this firm reliance upon the awesome, unfathomable power of God that is clearly evident in their prayer. All right, number three, how can we continue to 
cope with problems, we can look to Scripture. Notice in this prayer, if you will, notice verse 25, um, this praying group recites Scripture. Verse 25, who by the mouth of your servant David have said. So they go out of their way to recall Scripture. What does Scripture say? And they call to mind Psalm 2. Now Psalm 2 is a Messianic psalm. It starts off by asking, why why are the nations and all the rulers of the nations so foolish as to think that they can oppose God's anointed servant, who is none other than Jesus Christ? There in Psalm 2 it says, God in heaven will laugh at them and hold them in derision. And the psalm goes on to say, God says, I'm I'm going to establish my kingdom and I will set my king, my anointed one, on my holy hill in Jerusalem. I'm going to do it. And no one's going to stop me. (laughs) And so they recall scripture. Because that scripture, Psalm 2, is a testimony to the opposition of human beings, but it's also, even more so, a testimony to God's awesome power. God will surely bring his promised Messiah His anointed one, Jesus, will be installed as king in Jerusalem. And the psalm ends with a call to all the rulers uh, of this world to bow down and pay proper homage to Jesus, lest Jesus be angry with them and they perish in the way. All those who take refuge in the Lord will be blessed. That's what Psalm 2 says. And these people are recalling to mind Scripture. Oh, Scripture has a wonderful way of consoling a troubled mind and bringing comfort to a trembling heart. We need to look to Scripture. Scripture is there to comfort us, encourage us. It's also there to command us and direct us and tell us what to do. But it's there to comfort and to encourage. And that's what they did. They took time out to look to Scripture for their strengthening. Uh, Number four purpose to do God's will. So things are difficult. You're having a hard time. Maybe one trial or another has come upon you. You might feel like quitting, giving up. You might feel like saying, what's the use? You might be overtaken with a sense of despair, but don't do that. So now notice what they say in verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats. So, Lord, see their threats. You've you've seen their threats. We're not going to hide it. You've seen it all. You've heard what they've said. Now, in response to all their threats, what do they say? Lord, grant or give to your servants. Notice how they call themselves. They're they're the Lord's servants. And they take great pride in being able to call themselves the servants of God. And that's an honor because God is who? He's the supreme Lord over all. He's the sovereign Lord. And he's the one who's made everything. He's the one that nothing happens except he wills it or allows it or permits it. So they ask in verse 29, Now, Lord, give to your servants that with with all boldness they may speak your word. So, Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be full of courage. In spite of all the threats, in spite of all the opposition from these religious leaders, help us to be bold. Help us to have courage. Lord, take away the fear. And, Lord, help us just to keep doing what you've called us to do. And so they have this resolve to keep being obedient to the will of God. In any time of trusting, uh, any time of uh, temptation or difficulty or trouble, we need to have that resolve. Lord, help me to keep obeying you in all things that help me not to use some trouble or trials in my life as an excuse to disobey you or to stop seeking you uh, with a sincere, earnest heart. So we need to uh, keep that in mind. We need to have that resolve to do what God asks us to do. And it's interesting here, I might point out, um, if you will, just look at the next chapter, uh, 
chapter 5 for a moment. Um, Chapter 5, say verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, what many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord, uh, one purpose, one passion, in Solomon's porch, that's a particular part of the temple. Uh, Yet none of the rest dared join with them, but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Why was that? Because they kept preaching the word. They kept preaching the word with boldness. They're not being quiet. They're not shutting up. They're not backing off. They're not relenting. They're still preaching the word. And then verse 17. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Okay, so the religious leaders are all angry again. They're filled with anger. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Why did they do that? Because they were still preaching Jesus. They didn't give up. They didn't back off. They're still preaching Jesus. And um, notice, if you will, uh, verse 42. Verse 42. And so the apostles were daily in the temple and in every house. They did not cease. They did not stop. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Guess what? The religious leaders can't stop these apostles. That leads me to the next point. <laughs> Number five. You've got to remember, God is with you. That's why the Christian community is successful. Because God is with the Christian community. All the power of God, all the power and the authority and the protection and the might of the risen Lord Jesus Christ is present in the Christian community. Jesus is enabling and empowering his apostles to do what he called them to do. So God is with them. And I I guess for this uh, point, I just look at verse uh, 31. So let's see how God reminds them that he's with them. Verse 31. This is is back to chapter 4, Acts 4, um, uh, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. So something happened. There was some sort of physical event here. The place was shaken. Some sort of trembling took place. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So I believe God caused that place to be shaken so these people would know God heard the prayer. And those people were supposed to know God is with us. The powerful presence of God is with us. And the text says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were just energized to go out and keep being bold for the Lord because they know that greater is the person that is with them than these religious authorities who had made all those wild threats. So this is how we cope with problems. This is how we cope with difficulties. We need to remember God is with us. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your difficulties or struggles are. You may come into a new set of struggles this year. But just remember this short little prayer. It's a powerful prayer. It's an interesting. I love to read these words. Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth. Lord, we know what you said in uh, in, uh, uh, Psalm 2. We know what you said back in Psalm 2. Lord, we believe your word. You're sovereign and you're invincible. Jesus will prevail. And Lord, we know that what these religious leaders have done, uh, uh, Pontius Pilate and Herod, they all just did what you determined to be done ahead of time. The Lord, hear their threats. 
give us boldness when the place is shaken and the reminder that God is with them. So let's be encouraged tonight. Let's, let's take heart. Uh, God is with us and he's greater than any opposition that can come against us, whether through our problems or through persecution or antagonism to the gospel. God is with us. Let's just remember his awesome power and take these lessons to heart. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for your word and how good it is to read your word, how we feel encouraged and refreshed and revitalized spiritually when we read your word and just think about who you are and we think about your greatness and your power and your plans and your purposes. Lord, nothing can can stop what you want being done. And Lord, I just pray that everyone here tonight would just consider what an honor it is to be your servants, to be servants of the true and the living God, to be servants of the one who created all things, to be servants of the one who sent your son Jesus into this world to be crucified and raised again from the dead in power and in glory. Uh, So Lord, help us to go forth counting our blessings. What a privilege it is to belong to you. Encourage each and every one of us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's sing our final hymn tonight, and I chose uh, 713. Uh, Savior, teach me day by day, love's sweet lesson to obey you. Uh, 713. 713. Let's stand as we sing. We'll sing all four stanzas, 713.